0: This podcast is brought to you by our partners, Friends of Keji.
1: First, we would like to acknowledge that this podcast and interviews take place in Jibuktuk, which is currently known as Halifax. We are in Mi'kmaqi, the unceded and unsurrendered territory of the Mi'kmaq people. These lands are covered by the Peace and Friendship Treaties, which set rules for ongoing nation-to-nation relationships.
0: Nova Scotia has deep indigenous roots, and we understand that the stories we tell are often born from colonialism. Eurocentric thinking influences our day-to-day lives, and we need to be conscious of how we explore these lands and remember that the Mi'kmaq were the first people here.
2: I mean, I couldn't even really say that word um, at the beginning without tearing up (laughs) because I always felt I always felt that we are all connected and I didn't feel like we should be segregated the way the world sometimes puts us and it doesn't matter who you are and I just felt like see our people were like this that our people would just embrace everyone and there was a place here there's a there's something for each one of us to do we all have responsibility
1: Rose Muse is a Mi'kmaq interpreter at Kejimkujik National Park and National Historic Site. She brings the Mi'kmaq petroglyphs to life, sharing their stories and significance with visitors. While speaking with Rose, she taught us a word in Mi'kmaq. We'd like to share it with you. If you're lucky enough to visit Kejimkujik, you'll see it on the signs as you enter the park. It means welcome, but it also means so much more than that.
2: So literally when we pick the word "jelasi" apart, it means to come in and take your place. We used to use this word apparently when when the chiefs would meet in their, you know, they would come into the Wigwam or where they were having these uh, meetings and things like that. They would come in and that's what they would say as they entered "jelasi" because there would be a place here. For them, uh, because this is where uh, big discussions would take place, and and uh, you know, like we have today, we have our chief and councils and stuff like that. So they would go into a room and they would talk about how things are going to look and you know, the political side and things like that. So yeah, so I I thought that was so beautiful of a word um, because we just think, oh, okay, it just means welcome, but when you look at it deeper, it's much 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 more
1: there's a place for you here we're all connected we're connected with nature and each other and the land with these relationships comes responsibility
0: welcome to thinking outside the learn to camp podcast
1: Hello, bonjour, gue i I'm Soph.
0: And I'm Alex.
1: We work with Parks Canada's Halifax Learn to Camp team, and as a Parks Canada program, we hope to act as guides and storytellers in the outdoor world and share our natural and cultural heritage with people through camping.
0: Normally we spend our summers taking people to places like Kejimakujik National Park and National Historic Site, and teaching them the basics of camping. We want to get new Canadians and young families camping on their own, and connecting with the world around them. Usually we share our stories, memories, and lessons in person, but because of the COVID-19 pandemic, we moved online to this new podcast.
1: This week, we're going to be exploring the responsibilities that come with camping, the responsibility to the land, to each other, and to ourselves. When we go outside, we discover an amazing ecosystem of relationships and connections. And what makes camping so magical is that we learn that we have a role in that ecosystem, Our actions matter, and the more we discover the natural world, we see how much we have to learn about caring for and respecting it. When we go camping, we're taking our place in the outdoors, so come in and take your place as we rediscover our place in nature. Let's get back to Rose. We
2: live in the bush, and then we work in the bush, (laughs) so... We don't actually go out and do a lot
1: of like pitching a tent and camping. She spends almost all of her time outside and understands that relationships with the outdoors are so important.
2: Camping, to me, if that's what we call camping, it's that connecting again, connecting with the land, connecting with each other. Um, We went back here that big, big moon. What was that called? The pink moon, they Mm. called it, or the red moon, pink moon or whatever. So we would go back, way back in the woods. We had blankets all on the back of the truck. We had munchies. And we just laid on the back of the truck as a big family and told stories and about everything and anything we could think of Mm. and watched this moon come up and then talked about the moon and, you know, things like that. So to me, camping is really that connection again because- living out in the world, you know, the way kind of a bit of a rat race sometimes, you you lose that connection. So so I would have to say for me, camping is all about all about that, um, being in the bush and that connection with each other. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say the same for me as well.
1: This is Cedar, Rose's daughter. She's been following in her mother's footsteps, learning Mi'kmaq and works for Kejimakujik as well. One of the things she's done there is assist in making birch bark canoes under the watchful gaze of Todd Labrador a master birch bark canoe builder
2: getting in touch again because i feel like not saying this about everybody but many people like to spend their times indoors because it's too buggy it's too hot which is understandable cuz the heat and the bugs aren't enjoyable but it's also another part of being outdoors and connecting again, because being out there, like in the Birch Bark Canoe Project was amazing for me and my mom and Carly as well, Just all of us being able to not only partake in an art that our ancestors did, but it was something that was just so meaningful to us because we got to connect more to the land and stuff, being outdoors and just feeling our natural home and
1: Originally it was just Cedar and her friend learning the art of crafting a birch bark canoe. But her mother Rose quickly became invested in the project too.
2: I said, but some of the things that I've learned without any words were the things that impacted me the most. You know, and, and then seeing the the spruce root when we got the spruce root and we were tying the, the canoe together and if maybe I was there by myself that day and I was just I was just sewing. And it's all this spruce root was holding this canoe together and all that spruce root was all different colors. There was dark spruce root. There was light. There was medium and it's all doing the same thing. Not one of them was stronger than the other, you know, and that just, that just really hit me as I was doing it. It's like, Oh my heavens, that if we could learn from, if we would just slow down and learn from nature, mm-hmm. you know, that
1: was intense. That was so beautiful. Frozen cedar taking the time to just be in the outdoors is one of the best ways to learn from it. Nature is the world's greatest teacher.
2: Because we never look at animals kind of like that. You know, if we have something like a turtle that comes in your life all the time, you're seeing it all the time, maybe, what can I learn from
1: this, you know? When we take our place in the outdoors, there is a responsibility that we have to acknowledge. This comes in many forms. For Rose and Cedar, they work to connect visitors to nature and to the Mi'kmaq language. For others, though, They take responsibility through volunteering for ecological projects.
0: Jenny Eaton knows just how much influence a humble turtle can have. She's the volunteer coordinator at Kejimakujik National Park and National Historic Site. And has been working tirelessly to look after an endangered species that's near and dear to her heart—the Blanding's turtle.
3: The turtles. How can you? You know. How do you look at that face with the little yellow chin and the smile? You gotta. You, know, you gotta love the turtles. <laughs> and they're. And and they're. I don't, if you've ever seen the hatchlings, oh my goodness.
0: It's small enough to fit on your dinner plate. Its shell is smooth, dark, and domed. And if you're lucky enough to spot one you'll probably recognize it by its mustard yellow chin and neck. The Blanding's turtle can live a long life if it's lucky. Some get to be over 75 years old. But this long life means it takes many years before they are ready to mate and reproduce. As a result, every egg a turtle lays is important to the survival of the species. Unfortunately, many animals want to eat them. And if predators don't get them, sometimes people disturb the Blanding's turtle's nests especially when they're camping at Kejimkujik. So to help the turtles, volunteers are enlisted every year.
3: So in the beginning, the first thing that people get involved in is, uh, is the nest protection for the Blanding's turtle. They come in the spring and they help to cover the nests. They watch, they come, they go out in the evening, they go to sites where we know that the, the turtles lay their eggs and they wait for the turtles sometimes the turtles come sometimes they don't they have to wait until they you know sometimes they they sit out there for several evenings and and eventually the turtle comes her eggs and um and they protect them right away because the predation rate of turtle nests is incredible it's it's really high and so without that protection the blandings as an endangered species would be in a lot more trouble so uh so it's it's but it's a huge amount of work that they do. It's a, it's a lot of different people that are involved. And it's something that we absolutely couldn't do on our own. We don't have enough staff.
0: That's where Friends of Kedji comes in. It's a nonprofit organization that partners with the park on all sorts of projects, including the Blanding's Turtle Recovery Program. They help provide the volunteers that the park needs to protect the turtles. Friends of Kedji started with Norm Green and his friend Frank Mills, who founded the organization in 1998. Norm has been volunteering to help the turtles for many years. His love for them and the park shows. Norm didn't grow up visiting Kejimkujik, but after one visit, it was love at first campsite.
4: Originally we're from New Brunswick and during our New Brunswick time, we patronized Fundy National Park. And then uh, when we came to Nova Scotia, we met some friends who camped at Keji and they invited us down for a visit and we went down and fell in love with the place and have been going ever since.
0: In the years since that first visit, Norm has spent many evenings on the lookout for the Blanding's turtle. As a guardian of the turtle, he's spent many years counting them, observing the hatchlings, and protecting the turtles as they lay their eggs.
4: It's a kind of a magical experience. I mean, there's some people don't take to it at all, but lots of people do and it's kind of a magical experience to to watch a turtle lay its eggs in the uh, The labor pains it goes through and you know the effort that it puts into to to lay those eggs and so that's usually pretty exciting i mean i've seen well over a hundred of these things nest and i still get excited about it
0: it's not just the turtles that benefit from these programs nothing works in isolation so when you help the turtles you're really helping the entire ecosystem
4: any living thing in nature be it plant or animal uh it has its part to play in the chain of life, and uh, sometimes it's a little hard to understand just how one particular organism fits into the scheme of things, especially if it's black flies or mosquitoes and they're after you when you're out working in the spring. You know, every, everything has its place and everything contributes to uh, the general health of, of the world, if you like, of Mother Earth and uh, the ecosystems, etc. cetera. And sometimes even though we don't understand it, I know the way I like to describe it is every one of these organisms, including the turtle, are are a link in a chain. And if that link breaks because the species goes extinct, it's very difficult to judge what ripple impact that will have on the rest of the ecosystem. So I think it's important that everything be protected against extinction because you don't know how catastrophic the loss of a given organism would be to the to the rest of Mother Nature.
0: For Norm, his passion is helping the turtles. But for others, their interests lie elsewhere. Through her work as volunteer coordinator, Jenny Eaton has seen how passionate the park's volunteers are.
3: So one of the things that I find just most hopeful and encouraging and inspiring about uh, some of the volunteers that we work with and people who visit Keji in general is that it's often generational. So, you know, I know lots of people who, you know, have been coming to Kedji since it opened and bringing their kids, and now their children are bringing their grandchildren. And so it becomes this long-term generational love for the, the place. And the best example of that, that I can think of in the volunteer program is with a long time loon watcher, Joe Kerkes, who, actually was one of the people who began Loon Watch in Keji and started that whole volunteer program. And he and his wife came year after year and brought their kids. And I believe that his grandson came and did his first Loon Watch at just like a couple months old. I mean, he's a teenager now, you know, and that family is still comes all the time to Loon Watch, basically every Loon Watch twice a year and participate, and that's three generations of volunteers within Keji. And when you have that kind of commitment and it's going to carry on for more generations to come after that, it's very inspiring to see that passion be passed along.
0: Whether it's a family tradition or a passion for citizen science, people keep coming back. At the heart of why so many people are dedicated to these projects is because they understand that these habitats need to be protected. Even if you're not someone who spends much time in the woods, you're still connected to nature.
3: You know, there are certain just life-sustaining elements in nature that whether we're in it or not, we we need in order to survive. So our our separation from nature is, is very artificial. We feel like we're not in it. We feel like we're separated from it, but we are still animals. We are still a part of it. So it's, you know, we we have these constructs, you know, these cities and these places where we feel like we're not connected to nature, but it still exists all around us in the air we breathe and the water we drink and that sort of thing. Um, beyond that, we're animals. <laughs> we're, we're part of nature, um, you know, and so to extricate ourselves from it completely is just not possible. So I think what it has to offer us, I mean, it's, it's kind of immeasurable in a lot of different ways.
0: Volunteer programs like these get people caring about nature. But it's not enough to just care about the animals. We have to make sure they have a safe habitat. We protect these habitats in many different ways, including through sustainable practices. Alex Cole, co-owner of Littlefoot Yurts, uses sustainable practices in his yurt building business. Anyone who's been to a learned to Camp event at Kejimakujik will be familiar with Alex and his yurts. Last year they hosted a pop-up grocery store for the event's participants. Alex and his team ensure that the forests they harvest from stay healthy through a technique called coppice foresting.
4: You're not going in there to kill the tree. You're going in there to give it a new lease of life. And that is your intention, because you're going in there like a gardener to give it life.
0: Coppice forests are managed with techniques that minimize the impact of harvesting wood, with the goal of keeping the forest as healthy as possible. The use of this technique dates back to the times of medieval England. But you don't need to maintain a coppice forest to take responsibility for your surroundings. There are everyday things that you can do, too. When we talked about camping with Alex, his biggest suggestion was...
4: But I think your interest is how to camp, learning to camp. And uh, quite the, the most simple thing is to leave no trace. The control for you think, how do I leave no trace? Well, just look around you. What was it like when I arrived? And then make sure that you look around when you leave and feel good that you're leaving it in the same way. And then go through life enjoying and passing that information on.
0: At the root of Leave No Trace is just that. Leave things the way you found them.
3: Because we provide these spaces, you know, where you can walk on trails and you can, you know, you can camp on sites that are established um, so that you're not, um, you're not, creating further impact. Um, and there are a lot of really great programs where if you're looking to go out into nature and not into a, a national park, there are a lot of really great programs that help educate people about how to leave no trace. I think you just have to, again, it's it's about being aware of where you are, um, the environment around you, being respectful of that. Simple things like making sure you bring A little bag with you for your garbage that you carry out, anything like that. That you're not walking in sensitive areas, or you know, like like through bogs that really take a long time to return after somebody's walked or driven through an area like that. So it's a little bit of uh, yeah, just increasing your awareness of the environment that you're in and the effect that you can potentially have on it, and just. Honestly, it's a question of, of being respectful and uh, a lot of it is common sense and the rest is just uh, you know about educating yourself.
0: These small choices build into something bigger, something bigger than all of us. We can't do it alone. The work these volunteers do in the world not only brings them closer to each other, but also to nature. As Jenny Eaton says, there's no difference between us and the outside. When you're out camping, there's something deeper happening than just enjoying nature. You're learning how to be outside and how to feel the connection that's already there just below the surface. We are as much a part of nature as the turtles. And the more time you spend outside, the more you'll realize there's a place here for you too.
1: Join us next time when we'll be sharing stories and perspectives about nature and its connection to mental health. We'll be talking with Jan Lapierre, co-founder of A4Adventure, Alexi Rodriguez from Different Strokes Paddle Program, who is working to make paddling more accessible in Halifax, and our friend Mira from Kujibuquak National Park.
0: Earlier in the podcast, we mentioned the Kejimakujik petroglyphs. The Mi'kmaq carved these pictures and glyphs into stone, some over 10,000 years ago. They are sacred and culturally significant landmarks that record history. If you'd like to know more, click the link in the description.
1: If you're feeling inspired to do some camping yourself, we have some tips and links in the episode description for how to camp sustainably and responsibly. We encourage you to check them out. A big thank you to Rose Muse, Cedar Muse Waterman, Jenny Eaton, Alex Cole, and Norm Green for taking the time to talk with us and share their stories. We'd also like to thank Rose Muse for the lovely flute music that you heard throughout the episode. And thank you to Friends of Kedji for partnering with us to make this possible.
0: We don't make these episodes alone. Our audio editor is Adrian Boudreau. Our senior producer is Caitlin McFadgen. Our executive producer is Aaron Schenkman. And our promotions extraordinaire is Kashish Makija. Thank you everyone for your hard work. We'd also like to thank the rest of the Learn to Camp team. Brenna, Chris, Emma, and Caroline, who have been with us the whole time. And thank you, listeners, for spending some time with us. I'm Alexander Johnson.
1: And I'm Sophie Nicholson.
0: See you next time on Thinking Outside.